Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580, and we are glad about it. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. What a great show. So far, I am delighted to be in this hour. And in this hour, we're in conversation with acclaimed novelist and scholar Dr. Daniel Black, who joins us for a conversation about his new text, Black on Black, on our resilience and brilliance in America. Uh, the text is a piercing and thought-provoking exploration of racial tension in America and the ongoing fight for visibility, change, and lasting hope through his storytelling. Uh, in this book, he celebrates the resilience, the fortitude, and the survival of black people. And I am delighted for the hour to be in dialogue with Dr. Daniel Black. Dr. Black, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great, Mr. Smiley. I appreciate you having me, my good brother. It's my great honor, man. I'll call you Dr. Black, but you must call me Tabish to make it through this hour. Uh, we got a deal? We got a deal? We got a deal? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. I will yield. I appreciate you uh, for yielding in that regard. And but, you can certainly call me Daniel. It's I, fine. I, I could, but I won't, Dr. Black. I appreciate that, but thank you very yes, much. Uh, the difference is I'm just Tabish. You have earned that doctorate, and you're going to get called Dr. Black in this hour because you earned it. Yes, sir. And I yes, want to respect yes, you sir. in that regard. Um, let, let, yes. me, let me start with this, though. Um, let me tell you the first thing that jumped out at me when I saw this book come across my desk, and um, this likely won't surprise you. I have heard, you have heard, we have all have heard that phrase black on black so many times that I, I think subconsciously put the word crime in your title, although uh-huh. it has nothing to do with that. Your book doesn't. Not right. But right. this notion of black on black, we've just been, it just, I, I'm just confessing to you, it, 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 it made me back myself up and, and start to wrestle with myself about the ways in which that phrase black on black strikes me when I hear it. It's like you expect something to come behind that. And typically, as I said earlier, it's crime. But you chose to call this book black on black. As I'm telling telling you, it was arresting for me when I realized that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be when I read the full title. I just saw those first three words. But tell me that said, that confession on my part, why you chose to call this black on black. Well, ironically... It's because my last name is Black. Mm-hmm. And so this is literally me, Daniel Black, on Black Issues. I love it. Yeah. Right. But also, also Black on Black, because Black has meant many, th- many things for Af- African-descended people here in America. Mm-hmm. Black has sometimes been a color. Black has sometimes been a political position. Black has sometimes been a, 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 an apparison uh, to whiteness in terms of of carving out a place of degradation for us as black people in this country. And I want us to get clear and to be unashamed of this black inheritance. And in fact, to really wave it like a flag of achievement as a people. Mm. Mm. Right. Mm. So, so calling it black on black on black on black on black on black on black, right. Is really in, in many ways, um, my clarion call to African descended folks in America to be unashamed and unafraid of our excellence and the role we played in this country and to claim it proudly. Mm. To the extent that there are many of us who are, in fact, unashamed and unafraid, um, to what do you attribute those uh, those feelings of uh, um, being shamed and being afraid? Because I think far too often uh, what it has meant to be black in America has been an issue of survival, not an, not an issue of national pride. 
Mm-hmm. Far too often, it has it has been an announcement that a black person simply exists, not really what part of him or her is divine. Mm. Right. And I want us to begin to understand that blackness is a divinity. Right. That that in order to know God, you've got to know blackness. You have to know other things, too. But blackness cannot be left out. Mm-hmm. That, that, that what it means to be black in America is really one of the miracles of this very human existence. Black people have thrived. Black people have achieved. Black people have created, Brother Taffis, under such duress. Mm-hmm. And such an under such unbelievable circumstances that much of it is miraculous, but it's not seen as doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's what we do. Yeah. But the truth of the matter, it, even starting from the middle passage itself, really, no one should have survived that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we did got us to a plantation and no one should have survived that. But the fad we did, then that got us later to a civil rights movement where they were hosing down and, and, and literally murdering our leaders by the hour. So what I'm saying here is the irony is black death and black achievement and, and, and black wonder has been juxtaposed next to each other for the entirety of our existence in this country. And so I wrote this book because I want this entire nation, all people, of all races and all creeds, all genders, backgrounds. I want everyone to be very, very clear that there is no America without blackness. Mm. Brother, you, you, you're off and running, uh, and you've got uh, you got me thinking on a number of different fronts. Let me just tell you a few things running through my head right quick. We come forward. We will pick this up um, in no particular order. Number one, I want to uh, probe uh, this notion of uh, the miraculous nature of black existence in this country. When you use that word miraculous, uh, I thought about another black scholar named Cornell West, who I just saw last week. He was here in town. He and I were together last week. Uh, and Dr. West has said many times, and I always crack up when I hear him say it, he and I have traveled the world together, of course, over the uh, last few decades, uh, speaking together, oftentimes lecturing together and book signing together and all kinds of things together. Uh, but uh, Dr. West is fond of saying, uh, even to audiences that are vastly white, when you see Negroes walk in the room, you really ought to just give them a standing ovation. <laughs> that That's Cornell West. When they walk in the room, you ought to just give them a standing ovation for all that they've endured, all they've meant to this country. Uh, du Bois, another black scholar, put it this way, would America have been America without her Negro people? That's Du Bois into the core. Would America have been America without her Negro people? I want to I interrogate that as well when we come forward. But the first thing I want to interrogate is this notion of blackness as a divinity. I have never quite heard it put that way. And I'm going to ask Dr. Daniel Black to just unpack that for me and for you. Blackness as divinity when we come forward on KBLA. At KBLA Talk 1580, we do more than just talk. You got a big mouth. Hello, Joe, you're up. Welcome. We're unapologetically progressive and we don't black down. We do not black down. We are unapologetically progressive, and we are delighted to have you listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580. Use that number anytime to call into any of our shows uh, on this station 24-7. You are listening at the moment to Tavis Smiley on KBLA. Um, And our guest in this hour is Dr. Daniel Black. Uh, He is the author of a book, a brilliant scholar, acclaimed novelist, author of a book called Black on Black. 
on our resilience and brilliance in America. Back to that Du Boisian question, would America have been America without our Negro people? The answer clearly is a resounding no. And yet, I think, one, I think yeah, absolutely not. I think one can answer that question, though, Dr. Black, though, without casting aspersion on others. Can one? Can you not? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, we don't even need to bring others into the conversation <laughs> because, in, in, in fact, literally, economically, there is no America without her enslaved children. Yeah. No question about there it. There is no America whatsoever. And not just not just that, even what's been created from the very layout of the city of Washington, D.C. itself by a black man named Benjamin Banneker. Mm-hmm. No, no question right? about it. You can go on. It, and there is no musical tradition. If you take black folks out of the American musical tradition, it fades away. Mm-hmm. No. From from spirituals to blues to gospel to jazz the, the, to hip hop, the list goes on and on. And the quality of the voices is absolutely unmatched. Yeah. No, we we agree in that regard. You you take black folk out of the uh, American experiment in democracy, and in my, my audience knows I always call it an experiment in democracy. We ain't a democracy yet. Uh, we got a Madisonian right. we got a Madisonian framework. We ain't there yet though. So I call it an experiment yeah, but, in democracy. Uh, but you take black folk out of the American experiment in democracy, it just falls flat. Uh, there's no question or debate about flat. that. Yeah. And brother Tavis, where it really falls flat that nobody really wants to talk about, but it's true. And that is right during the civil rights movement. Because one of the things black people did, black people invited this nation into the contract of honoring human beings because we are human beings. Mm-hmm. It's called the it's called the nonviolent social movement. What black folks were saying, what King was ultimately saying, right, and doing was saying, listen, if we're human beings, if we can agree that we're all human beings, we can move past this racial history. The problem is that, no, we could not agree mm. because we white folks got an invitation to stand in a place of moral integrity and said, no, thank you. Mm. Mm. And without that, you cannot have a democracy. Mm. No, you cannot. And see, people, people misunderstand. You have to have laws. America is a nation of laws. Yes. But if you have no moral sensibility whatsoever, if you have no moral foundation, that means that you're doing policy without principle. Mm. Mm. I, I like and that. If there I, is no principle. There is no divinity. No, I hear you. I like that policy without principle. And yet, to your point about morality, Dr. King, you are in Atlanta, of course. You teach at Clark Atlanta. Um Dr. King, uh, Atlanta's own, Atlanta's best, put it this way, though, on morality, that you cannot legislate morality. So juxtapose, right. your, juxtapose your comment about morality or, 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 or the, the, the missing notion of morality in our public discourse with King's point that you can't legislate morality. And that is right. You cannot legislate morality. That is absolutely true. And King was not trying to get people to legislate morality. King was trying to get people to decide they wanted it. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You cannot legislate kindness. There's no way to create a law to make people be kind. But King wasn't asking for that. King was asking people if they believed in kindness. Mm -hmm. And see, that question has to be answered in your heart, not in your head. Mm -hmm. And that's a critical, important, important point, because what King was doing was trying to King was was trying to perpetuate the notion of democracy in a place that was 
saying that not only did it want it, but that democracy was the very foundation of its existence. So all King was saying is, if that's true, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be- the problem is, that, and I think even King was a little naive here, if I could be so bold. Sure. The, the, the problem is, hey, King, these people were never talking to you. They were never talking to you. Mm. They were moral with the people they were talking to. But King's thing was, wait a minute, I'm a human being too. The problem is they didn't agree. They did not agree to King's humanity. Mm. The um, let, let me, uh, <laughs> I can see now when I'm in Atlanta again, I'm going to have to come audit your class, brother. I'm going to have to come just sit in. <laughs> I have been known to do that across the nation uh, with all kinds of scholars who I have had on this program, scholars who are friends of mine. They know if I'm in town, it, there's a good chance Taz may just pop up in the back of your class. I've literally been in classes and the professor will walk in. And he doesn't even realize that he or she don't even realize I'm in the room. And the students will say, oh, wow. Psst, 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 tab, oh, wow. Tavis Smythe's on the back row. Uh, so I, I literally, I love popping in and auditing classes. So I got to pop oh, into your man. class one day when I'm in Atlanta, brother. Yes, just sliding yes, slide back of the classroom. Let, let, me, let me ask you, because um, I want to get back to this. I, I hate to interrupt, but I wanted to get back to this notion of, of, of blackness as divinity, black divinity. Un- unpack, yes. unpack that for me. I love the phrase, but unpack it for me. Okay. The reason... I, I use the phrase blackness, black divinity. Mm-hmm. It's because we've got to begin as black people to associate our very being with the God we pray to. Mm. See, if when we close our eyes to pray, we don't see something that looks like ourselves, that is bondage. Mm. That is bondage. If, listen, if, if, if the lions get together, if the lions get together and create their notion of divinity. If they get together and, and write a lion's biblical text, that text is going to inherently include the decimation of the gazelle. Mm-hmm. When the gazelle comes to that exact same text, looking for its reflection in the divine, what the gazelle is going to find is its own death ensconced in divinity. Mm. So the gazelle has got to be careful coming to the lion's text looking for its own divine reflection. I'm I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm talking. All right. No, you you no, you, you preaching, man. You preaching. You you ain't took a text yet, but you preaching. Uh, <laughs> I, but that's a deep point. No, it's that's that, a really deep point. It's a very deep point. That's why you heard that pregnant pause. I, I, I'm I'm wrestling. I'm I'm wrestling with your formulation because I mean I think you're right. I know you're right. In fact, you're right about it. Uh, and 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 it's, it, it reminds me of that old adage that you know the the lion's view of history is the view of history until the gazelle that's has right. his say. Because the lion's going right. to tell you a story. The gazelle said, no, that ain't really how it went down. But if all you exactly. hear is the lion's point of view and you never hear the gazelle's point of view, how he was sleeping uh, and, and the lion snuck up on him. I mean, you, you, you have to hear the other side. So I, I hear your point, but I'm, 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 but I'm, still, I'm still stuck, though. I'm still stuck on this notion that you laid out a moment ago of seeing ourselves in relationship to the God that we pray to, and if we pray and we don't see ourselves reflected in his divinity, that that in and of itself is bondage. That is bondage. Now you got me on you that got me you got bondage. me on you got me on that one, Doc. That's yes, sir. That's bondage. I don't care who the people are, I don't care who the being is. 
If a being imagines the the the, the ethereal realm, if the being imagines God, mm-hmm. and that imagination does not include the self, that being is absolutely in bondage. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. This is why you get a white God, this is why you get a white Christ in a place called the West. Because when they think of God, that's who they see. Mm-hmm. I'm not really mad at that. I'm not really mad at that. What is frustrating, if you go among Native Americans and they talk about a God and create an image of a God and it don't look nothing like them, that is absolutely problematic. That is absolutely a people's own announcement of their self-hatred. Mm. Since you, since you used the word ephemeral a moment ago, let me just ask you, let me, let me press on this point. How then, to your mind, do a, a people who are ephemeral have a proper relationship with a God who is eternal? Because the only thing that the human mind can do is give honor unto God. The human mind doesn't really conceive God. It doesn't have the capacity to really conceive God. So, so when we use the word God, we're not really conceiving the totality of the creator. Mm-hmm. We're really just describing our understanding, our notion of that thing. And, 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 and that's not bad. I think that's, I think that's human limitation in every form. Sure, sure, sure. Right. What I do think is problematic, however, is when we start to imagine the sacred, Right. And when the sacred does not include the imprint of the person doing the imagining, that person is in a psychological position. If, for example, if I believe that the Bible is really divine, Mm -hmm. which is perfectly fine with me, but I don't believe no black people wrote nothing in there, the notion that God never spoke to my people in a way that's in anything textual, it's absolutely problematic. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. A hey, problematic is a good word. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the word problematic, as you well know. It's a great deal more than just that. Uh, it's, it's, it's more than That's just right. problematic. But I, but I take <laughs> more than yeah. I, right. I take, I take the point you're making. <laughs> uh, so, so let me. I'm, I'm watching my clock here, man. My time's getting away. This thing's getting rich. It's getting richer by the moment. So, talk to me then about this ongoing fight that we find ourselves in for visibility, for change, for a lasting hope, which you talk about in the text. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Brother Travis, some of our fight for visibility is our fight for validation. Mm. And that's what we need to let go of. We really need to let white folks have those, those who do. We need to let them have white supremacy. Just have it. We, we need to stop trying to fight against it. White supremacy met us on the shores of America when we arrived 400 years ago. And what's so deep is then and now, it's never been enough to destroy black agency. Part of the issue is we're trying to fight against white supremacy, too many of us, because really we want our black turn to have the same privileges that white supremacy affords. And that's why we keep contending with white supremacy. That's why we keep fighting about it. That's why we keep arguing. Listen, what sense does it make now, Tavis, to hold rallies about, for example, a restaurant that wouldn't serve black people 
I'm just making this up, restaurant that wouldn't serve black people. Mm-hmm. Why in the world would somebody rally about a restaurant that wouldn't serve black people when there are black restaurants that will? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. So, so See, we have to admit there's something we're saying about the sanctity of that faith mm-hmm. that we would beg entry into it. Mm. I, and I mean, in a day and time now when you can open any restaurant whenever you get ready, mm-hmm. why are we mad if they say, I don't want you over here? Because what we have to, that's, that's why I wrote this book, because what we've got to admit to ourselves is we have been waiting on these people's applause, these people's validation of our value mm. for 400 years. So then, so then, so then, what? What then? I'm, I'm looking at my clock. I got 60 seconds for this answer. I promise you, we'll continue this when we come forward on the other side of news, traffic, and sports. But tee this up for me, right quick. What then are you suggesting that black folk do about the notion of white supremacy? What I'm suggesting is that black people do not one damn thing about about white supremacy. What I'm suggesting is that black people get invested in black agencies. And black agency does not take up the issue of trying to dismantle white supremacy. Black agency takes up the mantle of building black institutions that sustain black existence and quite frankly will sustain white ones too. That has always been true. Always. He's dropping bars. He's dropping bars and and I'm only halfway through. Uh, The book is called Black on Black on our resilience and brilliance in America. I suspect uh, that you should not have expected uh, to get anything different than what you're getting from an author who writes a book called Black on Black on our resilience and brilliance in America. If the title don't tell you uh, who he is and uh, what his agency is and how he shows up in the world, then nothing will. His name is Dr. Daniel Black. The book, once again, is Black on Black on our resilience and brilliance in America. More when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Our guest in this hour is Dr. Daniel Black. His book is Black on Black on our resilience and brilliance in America. I was just checking our socials during that break, and uh, the audience agrees he's on fire. Uh, I spell that F-I-A-H. Uh, he's on fire this hour, and we're <laughs> delighted uh, to have him, uh, acclaimed novelist and scholar out of Atlanta. Uh, again, the book is called Black on Black on Our Resilience and Brilliance in America. Um, let me go right to this issue. Um, we talked about visibility and our fight, at least, for visibility, change, and lasting hope. Let me ask you. Let me ask you to, to to unpack, if you will, your views on the notion of hope. This audience knows. I've said it more than once um, that I make a clear distinction between optimism and hope. Yeah. Optimism, to my mind, suggests there is a particular set of facts, circumstances, conditions, something you can see, feel, or touch that gives you reason to believe that things are going to get better. By my read of history, mm-hmm. that ain't never been the black experience. Hope, on the mm-hmm. other hand, since you were talking about the Bible earlier, hope, on the other hand, is something very different. Uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So our ongoing fight for a lasting hope is different than being optimistic about our future. That's how I see it. How do you see it, Professor Black? I, I think I agree with that. I, I, there's, there's just one little caveat sure. I might add. Sure, sure, sure. As, as we go further and further forward in time, one of the things that's happening with younger people is that younger people are asking, where's the fruit of grandma's hope? Mm. Younger people say, if grandma was serving God for 
65, 75, 85 years and was, and was holding on to the bloodstained banner. No problem. No problem. Where did God honor Grandma? Where did, did, did Grandma Cope come to pass? Because if not, I'm not doing that. Mm. And see, here's, here's the issue. Part of the issue, Tavis, is Grandma's hope did come to pass. Yes. The problem is that we have misarticulated it, though. See, Grandma's hope was not that her children, right, would, would have the same size houses as white folks. See, that's what, we keep thinking that the hope is materiality. The hope is not in materiality. That's not the hope. Grandma's hope is that her children would, would walk this planet, would walk this place called America. And if it never, ever changed, that, the, that her grandchildren would understand that she knew God even as she was scrubbing somebody else's floors, and that her children will be exalted also, although circumstances does not seem to suggest they ever would have been. See, we come from people who, who, who were asking for things that do that mathematically do not add up. We come from grandparents who never ever went to school, couldn't even read, and yet grandchildren had PhD. Then then the hope happened. Mm -hmm. See, we have to understand this, and this is why we got to get out of the, the validation thing because we keep comparing ourselves to other people in terms of understanding whether or not God has been faithful to us. God's faithfulness to us is not in materiality, because God's hope for us is not in materiality. Yes. God's hope for us is, is, is in consciousness. God's hope for us is in the clarity that who God is, no human being can ever alter. And if you ever get that peace in your head, white supremacy can show itself all damn day, and you can have perfect peace in the midst of it. You don't need it to subside, not if you're walking with God. Because what we understand is greater is God with us than the entire universe against us. Mm. But see, if, if a young person understands that, then the winning has already happened. Mm. The winning has already occurred, right? And so I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of the difference between optimism and hope. I absolutely understand. What I think we've got to do, though, though is we've, we've got to get clear. What did they really hope for? Because mm -hmm. most of our elders were not hoping for what we're hoping for. Mm -hmm. Their hope was not in the car. It was not in a kind of car. It was not. Their hope was not in you being able to live in a certain house. It was not in that you go to a certain school. No, 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 no. That wasn't the hope. The hope was that you would find the value of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And in finding the value of knowledge, you would put that with your understanding of the invisible. And when you put those two together, you would discover that there is absolutely no greater joy than you knowing God and knowing yourself. What, do you, what, what, what are you, you? You teach students every day, of course, uh, in Atlanta there. Yes, sir. Um, what, yes, what, sir. If I asked you to sort of just uh, top line for me what you are sensing, what you are feeling, what you are hearing um, from these young people vis-a-vis uh, -vis their ability to sustain their hope uh, about their future, how would you, how would you respond to that? How'd you answer that? I would respond to that this way. I've been teaching at Clark Atlanta University for 30 years. 
And I, w- I would respond to that this way. The thing I'm seeing more and more and more and more is that the young people actually want the hope. Many of them are very despondent. Many of them struggle hard emotionally. But it's because, it's because the maturity they needed to shape, a, to shape a life and to shape a sensibility that would send them out into the world, most of their parents didn't have it. Mm. Most of their parents didn't have it. The problem right now is not the young people. The problem is that we're getting, we're getting adults who are having children who are not elders. So what we're giving our children with which to fight the world is absolutely too, it's, 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 it's insufficient. Is that an, indi- is that an indictment on, how do I want to phrase this? Is that an indictment on the culture, <laughs> uh, on the culture or the yes. country or both? Yes, I definitely think the culture. Okay. Def- and I think it started and, and, and this down a rabbit hole, but I think it start I think it started with integration. When we began to send our our resources away from us, when we began to fall in love with the possibility of somebody else's school and somebody else's uh, uh, um, houses and somebody else's neighborhood, we began literally to send um, to send our resources away from our children who needed it desperately. Right. And what this see, this is why so many grandparents are raising children, because that's that really should be the age of the parent. But the grandparents are doing it, and I understand this. The grandparents are doing it because they've now gotten old enough to realize that what their children needed, they didn't have it either. So they now feel like they owe the grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I get it. I really, really get it. But it's absolutely caving in on us. Because when you have a 75-year-old raising a six-year-old, the gap is too wide. Yeah. I, I can, I, for the sake of argument, for the sake of, for the sake of argument, let me accept your critique of integration. Let me accept that mm-hmm. for the sake of argument. I, mm-hmm. I accept the critique of integration. Um, but okay. I, I see these two things not necessarily as one and the same. One can have a critique of integration and yet still respect the end and aim of the movement, the civil rights movement, which was about access. So I can accept the critique of integration, but what am I to do with the fact that the movement was about access for you and for me? The movement was about access. That's true. That's true. The movement was about access. But, but there's another thing we've got to include in it. There's another thing we have to include in it. Hmm. Access to what? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. See, we're back at materiality now. Mm-hmm. See, we could have done without the materiality and kept the excellence. Harvard wasn't a better school than Clark Atlanta. Yale was not a better school than Morehouse. We didn't need to go to their schools. We just thought we did. And I understand, I honor those elders. No, I, I honor those elders. But now, and I think this is part of what I'm supposed to do, and this is part of the way I'm honoring those elders. Now, let's stop this. Let's stop this. And here's how you know. Tavis, in the, in the 1950s and 60s, NASA 
went and gathered black women, including Katherine Johnson, to figure out how to get a man to the moon and back. You know the story. Oh, yes. Right. What people don't say is every single one of those black women went to a black school. Every single one of them graduated from a black school. That's why they were that excellent. Almost nobody ever misses this. And people say, well, how do you know? It was the 50s. (laughs) When we come forward, we're going to continue talking about black excellence. You are listening uh, to a master class being taught by Dr. Daniel Black. On KBLA Talk, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're listening to Dr. Daniel Black on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm just staying, uh, doing my best to stay out of the way uh, and let let this brother shine. Um, talk to me. I'm watching my clock here. It's getting tight. Um, talk to me about black excellence in late modernity. Everybody talks about black wonder. We talk about black girl magic. That's we right. talk about all this. That's right. Talk to me about black That's excellence right. uh, in real time. Black excellence, um, Tabitha Smiley, is really an issue, not just of what black people do, right? It's an issue of what we're committed to, Mm. right? Black excellence has everything to do with the ways in which black people achieve, right? When all of the odds say that achievement should never have happened, right? I think of people like a Harriet Tubman, right? It's not just that Harriet Tubman ran north, right? Because let's be honest. If you're talking about slavery, it was a lot of people who were physically fit then. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-mm. It's the fact that she was sejuric. It, it's the fact that she had seizures because literally a slave, uh, a slave mistress had literally knocked her in the head. It was the fact that she was sejuric and still ran mm. back and forth. That is miraculous. That's the excellence. And what's so deep is... I've always, I've always wondered, how in the world did she run and never just fall out mid-run in one of those seizures? Mm-hmm. See, it's not that Frederick Douglass could do speeches. No, uh-uh. It's not that Frederick Douglass was a mighty orator. That wasn't it. No. The excellence is that Frederick Douglass never went to school and still did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you read his writing, I don't know a Ph.D. student anywhere, right, who, who could write next to him. And how in the world did this man learn language so efficiently and so effectively to be that, en- not just he could read and get by, whose language flows like the Mississippi River. How in the world did that man master the language like that? Mm. That's the excellence. Yeah. But the list goes on and on and on and on and on and it goes on. How in the world did black how in the world did black women wet nurse white children who would later burn their houses down? Right, in in, in, in race riots and, and raids. But these were the people who Black women literally nurse from their very breast. Now, people, that's not the miracle. Mm-mm. That's not the excellence. You know what the excellence is? Those same black women turned around and taught their children, mm. you don't hate him. You don't hate him. You don't put hatred in your heart. 
You don't let hatred sit in you. It, it'll eat you up. It'll absorb you. Those same black women turned around and taught their children, you figure out how to love him nonetheless. I feel so that good. Is the- no, that, that's the essence. I hear you. I, I, I was about to say, I feel so good right now about being black, <laughs> about black excellence, <laughs> about, about black resilience, about black brilliance. I'm going to levitate out of this studio in seven minutes. You're listening to Tavis Smiley and Dr. Daniel Black on KBLA Talk 15. Interrogating your assumptions and expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Dr. Daniel Black on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm looking at my notes. I got three or four pages of notes in this studio right now. I've been taking notes like I'm sitting in his, in his class at Clark Atlanta University. Um, I'm watching my time. About four minutes left in this dialogue, which I could do for hours. I promise we'll have you back again to do this, uh, do some more of this, Dr. Black. But let, let, let me ask you, um, to your book, Black on Black, uh, on our resilience yes, and brilliance in America. You invoked Harriet Tubman earlier. Harriet Tubman, as you know, is reported to have said at one point, I could have freed more Negroes if they had known that they were enslaved. I am curious as yes. to I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not you think that most of us in this moment, that most of us believe that we are excellent, that we are resilient, that we are brilliant. It's got to start with that, does it not? I think so. I think so. And the issue here is uh, um, our dear mother and, and, and our dear Harriet, the real issue is what was she saying? Mm-hmm. Right. When she said that, what was she saying? What she was saying is incarceration of the mind is a thicker process to free someone from than incarceration of the body. Mm-hmm. If your imagination is incarcerated, you can run from a plantation and you have taken slavery with you. Mm. And that's, and that's the brilliance of what she's saying there. And that is freedom. Freedom is not geography, which is why she kept coming back south and north. Freedom is not geography. Freedom is absolute. Freedom is consciousness. Freedom is the clarity to know that there is no physical thing that can bind your destiny. If, if a person understands that, poverty has absolutely nothing to do with the quality of a person's life. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, I don't mean it's good to be poor. I don't mean that. No, 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 I'm not saying that. What I am saying here is, and black people certainly show this, poverty and ignorance are not supposed to be twins. Mm. Just because one is poor does not mean one is supposed to be deplete in terms of knowledge. But the truth of the matter, ironically, every spiritual tradition I've ever read about, the saviors are always broke. <laughs> you know what? You, you, you're killing me now. <laughs> you, you, me. Ain't it true? Uh, amen. Amen, Doc. Amen, amen, Reverend. The saviors are always broke. Yes. How in the world are we preaching prosperity gospel to a and, and and preaching about a savior who had nothing materially? You better stop. You better. You know what? My God. 
you 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 would do this to me. You would do this to me with, with sixty seconds to go. Let let me stop you right there. Uh, JD, are you listening? Uh, Rebook re, re Doctor Daniel Black, and I want to pick up the conversation right there. Uh, preaching Ooh. preaching prosperity gospel. Uh, <laughs> in the name of About one a broke savior. Yeah, yeah. In the in the name of a savior who was who was broke, <laughs> who was penniless. Uh, we will start this next conversation when Doctor Black returns to this program. Right there. Uh, Miles, cue that up. I'm going to play this clip again when he starts, and we'll jump from there on the next go-round. Uh, when I tell you I am thrilled and delighted and humbled uh, and mostly empowered to have had this conversation in this hour, uh, take that and multiply it times 10. His name is Dr. Daniel Black, acclaimed novelist and scholar. His new book is called Black on Black on Our Resilience and Brilliance in America. Think about this right quick. This is what you got for free today for one hour. Can you imagine being a student in his class at Clark Atlanta for the whole freaking semester? Good Lord. Wow. I, 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 would, I would fly from Clark Atlanta in, from Clark Atlanta in Atlanta to wherever I live uh, for a vacation, for Thanksgiving, Christmas. I'd fly home unaided. I, I could do it unaided. If I got this kind of shot in the arm every single day, and I hope uh, – uh, the students there appreciate it. I'm sure they do. He's been there 30 years. Um, so somebody appreciates his work and witness in the city of Atlanta. Dr. Black will do it again. Promise. I promise you, sir. T take me up on that one. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me, Brother Tabby. All the best to you. That is our show for today. I couldn't have closed on a better or higher note. Back here tomorrow morning, Lord willing to do it all over again. Until then, thanks for listening. And I don't need to tell you this today, but I'm going to tell you, as I tell you every day, keep the faith. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.